Hello and welcome back to One for Paul, the show where I, a non-pop culturist, get inducted into the world of pop culture by my friends, co-humans, and nemeses. Joining me today on this special One for Paul Toba episode of One for Paul, celebrating Paul Toba, is... Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Matt Dempsey. Nice to, nice to be on the show. It's not. You know this. <laughs> it's, it's a chore and an obligation sir not in any way shape or form <laughs> so who are you and what are you doing here well um my name is matt dempsey i am a sound designer by trade but the reason that i'm on here is because you have an interest in horror and as it happens i'm doing a horror podcast a horror it's podcast the... i know right um who's it's ever heard of such a thing <laughs> uh, the one from night vale boys might uh, might be able to jump in there um it's called the Stygian Chronicles. It's uh, weekly. It's starting in Halloween. It's effectively an anthology horror podcast. Have you heard of shows, Paul, like Tales from the Crypt Keeper, Outer Limits, or The Twilight Zone? I think I saw an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark when I was eight? That's the kind of deal. So it's the whole concept is that we have this creepy character uh, called the curator who introduces and signs off uh, on the beginning and the end of the stories. Uh, we take short stories and effectively I sound design them, voice them. Um, as it happens, we get guests into voice such as yourself who will, will be appearing on the third episode. Uh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, I don't know how fun it's going to be yet because we haven't <laughs> recorded it yet, but I hope it's good. Oh, I, I know the script. It's going to be. It's going to be so. Much I've fun. read the script. It's hilarious. <laughs> it, it contains the word uh, yes. "hihiyaha" at one point. <laughs> I don't know what that oh, sound is things. supposed to be, but I think we're going to discover what it's supposed to be. Absolutely. So um, yeah, I don't really know anything about horror movies, and this. I, I guess this is a bit of a blind spot in my pop culture knowledge, which is already quite. Uh, there's not a lot in there to start with mm -hmm. but horror movies in particular i guess i just never saw the appeal of going out of my way to be afraid of things absolutely why on earth would you go somewhere to uh, to get scared i mean uh, that's I've what always... i'm asking you now <laughs> right now i've always thought that uh, horror it much like science fiction isn't just about um the shock and awe of the otherworldly it's about analyzing through a lens uh, the world that we're in so horror is a great way of sort of keeping us on the edge of our toes, getting into those primal instincts and really making us think about social issues. Right, keeping us on the edge of our primal toes. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, so in that case, we're going to be watching what I guess is a real classic of the genre. Oh, you want pop, cu pop culture and horror? This is the hallmark. That's right. Welcome to Revel Bread 2, the story of an anthropomorphic... Re Revel? Welcome to <laughs> Rebel Bread 2, the story of an anthropomorphic loaf of bread who desperately wants to have a party. But what happens when he becomes the main course of the party? Well, because you bread is more party food that. now. <laughs> I think you'll yes, find that's, that's absolutely right. That's the best joke <laughs> that I've ever... That's exactly what we're going to see. We're going <laughs> to talk about Rebel Bread. Rebel Bread. No, Paul, don't you understand? We're going to, see, we're going to watch Evil Dead 2. Groovy. So, I mean, welcome to Evil Dead 2, a film I haven't seen because horror makes me uncomfortable, so I haven't watched any horror movies unless I accidentally one time. So this might be actually my first horror movie properly. Wow. Uh, and what a way to break that cherry. 
I guess maybe. Uh, does John Carpenter's Vampires count as horror? Because I have seen that. Technically speaking, <laughs> it sort of didn't feel horrifying. It felt like a cool action movie to me. Yeah, John Carpenter is um, an immensely brilliant director when it comes to horror and has done many, many things that would chill the socks off of you. But Vampires, I don't feel, is one of them. Oh, well, Vampires was fun. I liked Vampires. Oh, yeah, yeah. John Carpenter's a great director. So anyway, Matt, how unusual is it for someone to have not seen Evil Dead 2? Anyone that lived through the 90s and has any kind of nerding about them or geeking about them, very, very unusual. So it's, you're um, really confused by me. I mean, it's... I mean, since the day I met you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, but it's just one of those films that turned up uh, in most of our adolescences in the 90s, for all of us oldies. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just a staple of the... Of, Take in mind, at the time, you had things like, in the 80s, you had the uh, the slasher horror films, the Nightmare on Elm Streets, yeah, um, Halloween, all those kind of films. Yes, definitely uh, and, things I'm aware of in pop culture. Yes, yes. And effectively, in the 80s, this was sort of taking a, taking a look at those films. Um, from a real love letter standpoint, Sam Raimi really poured his heart into this. Um, I know you asked me when we were looking at the list of which films, um, which one I should go for. And I went for Evil Dead 2. And you said, well, isn't that a sequel? We shouldn't I watch the first one? Mm -hmm. um, there, there is a reason for not watching the first one is it, first. Is it a bad? Um, it's not bad. Um, there's a really interesting story about the, the whole way the Evil Dead franchise started up. It started up as a, a short film called Within the Woods, which did star Bruce Campbell, who's the star of this as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like on a shoestring budget. Uh, that short film then got made into uh, Evil Dead, mm -hmm. uh, which had a budget of £350,000. Bruce Campbell actually put up some collateral on his house to get that $350,000, even, oh, yeah. even in 1991 dollars? Was this 91? Whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. The that, 1981 dollars. Oh, good Lord. That's even, that's bigger dollars even. That's not mm. that many dollars for a movie. No, no. It got endorsed. It actually went to Cannes and got endorsed by Stephen King, mm. who like... With that endorsement, it sailed. Guess how much it grossed? Uh, original release? I'm guessing it did okay. 2.4 million. That's not a bad ROI. From from 350k? That's absolutely. not a bad ROI. And considering where it went, like Bruce Campbell has gotten work out of Sam Raimi for years afterwards, like it's worked out well for them all. Mm -hmm. So Evil Dead 2, um, some people would say that it's a, a, a kind of a a remake that's not entirely true um so it's a remake the of reason evil why dead we, one yeah well the reason we leave evil dead one effectively the first kind of third of evil dead 2 is a recap of evil dead 1 oh, to get okay. to get to a certain place got it uh, the main reason that i don't touch uh, evil dead when go to it first is because of a very infamous scene which anyone who has seen this will very definitely know what i'm talking about um it involves a young girl being sexually assaulted by a tree oh no yes um i mean there's lots of things to potentially excuse this and whatnot i do not want to get into that debate i am probably the least qualified person to talk well, to it's about also it. it's also not in that we're not doing that movie so that's okay so there's like exactly. to recap this there's a bunch of reasons that that movie has not aged well and it's not a good way to get somebody into horror 
Exactly. Got it. Uh, and 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 into into even the Evil Dead films. I mean, the first one is you, you, from a standpoint of watching it turn from a short film into a first feature to then become like Evil Dead Two, which Bruce Campbell himself said was his favorite of the of the of the lot. Okay. Um. You know, it's just one of those things where this is the place to start because you don't lose anything by watching this. Sounds um, good. And in fact, you get the you get the best out of the journey that this film takes you on. All right. Well, in that case, let's start our scene by scene with a fade in to the smokiest book ever, the Necronomicon <laughs> Ex Mortis, which roughly translated according to what's it is the Book of the Dead and not as in actual Latin Libri Mortuor- uh, Mortuorum. And that just goes to show you how much more Latin you knew than Sam Raimi. I know three Latins, and book and dead are two of them. So, <laughs> Oh, vine, vide, vice, my friend. You came, you saw, you conquered. Uh, Weni, weedy, weechi, I think you'll find, but okay. I'm sorry, so, it's been a long time since I've been a Roman. Hmm. So also the book has a face. All my favorite f- books have faces, and its mouth contains a portal of some kind, and inside the portal is a bunch of Skellingmans. Oh, to say the least, not just that, it's just the skull is... I cannot think of a a more obvious ways, a more obvious symbol to let you know that you're in for horror than putting a skull right in front of your face. I suppose not, eh? Uh, see, this one time... The seas ran red with blood, and that blood was used to ink the book. So, you know, listen, I'm no inkologist, but I'm reasonably certain that that wouldn't make for very good ink. But what do I know? See here in the book, with all these awesome concept art, concept art, it's been such a long day. (laughs) Concept (laughs) art, You put that emphasis on any syllable you like. (laughs) Oh my god, I may or may not have watched a bunch of stuff with Matt Berry in it recently, and I think he's infecting my head. Matt Berry. Matt Berry. So here in the book with all these awesome concept art illustrations, and they they got some made-up runes in there, several of which are just triangles. Yeah, the, just the amount of detail that went into those original props is just mind I feel like they paid for a bunch of concept art and then were like, well, we ran out of art. How about the concepts? Can we use those? And it turns out they had real good concept artists. Uh, then later, the book disappeared for no reason. Oh, there's a reason. In the 13th century, it it just disappeared somehow. And then cut to a car uh, exiting a tunnel on the wrong side of the road. And this man and woman are driving up to the mountains to take a vacation in an abandoned house. Well, probably abandoned. Yes. Um, Should we start talking about the the cottage now, then? Well, they cross a super cool-looking matte painting, I mean bridge, and arrive at the cabin, (laughs) which I guess was actually deserted. Because once there, Uh, he starts playing the piano rather well, as the lady he was with starts dancing around in a t-shirt and underpants, which I think in horror movie language means she's she's pretty boned right now. Like, she's, she's dead. Oh, you picked up on the subtext. There's actually a really interesting story about that cabin. Um, the the cabin is in uh, Wadesboro, North Carolina. That's where the whole thing was shot. Okay. And uh, the cabin was, funny enough, built 100 years previously. The guy who built it died the day after he finished it. Um, later on, a grandmother and, and granddaughter went to live up there. It turns out there's an unusual amount of iron deposits up there, which means that when lightning lightning storms come around... They strike very heavily in that area. You couldn't ask for a better location for a horror film. Oh, man. That's really cool, actually. So, uh, yeah, he's real good at piano. 
And then the two of them almost kiss, and then Ash, it turns out his name is Ash, suggests Champagon, because, you know, he's a man and she's a woman, at least last time he checked. Uh, he's also evidently... Gotta love a, a little bit of Champagny. Champagny, and he's just such a huge dork, and I guess she finds that just adorkable. <laughs> But it does come across that way, because he does the whole, like, hey, so how about you and I? Like, I'm not even exaggerating that much. No, no, not at all. There's actually a reason for the the comedy in this film. Please do tell me why this. Why this? Why that in particular? I don't know know why that choice. Why this? This is a choice someone (laughs) made. It's true. It all comes back to scott spiegel who um put in a load of uh, things for this they were very influenced by the three stooges i'm sure we'll get into figuring out where that influence is coming later uh weirdly um, but there was weirdly, also a... i know one thing about three stooges and that's the thing what with the guy who runs around in a circle on the floor oh yeah that's the only thing i've never seen a three stooges um sort of if i've seen it it's probably a reference in the animaniacs or something Oh, absolutely. The Animaniacs reference that stuff nonstop. This is what I mean. So it's, I haven't seen the original, but I have seen them do it. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very much familiar. like the origin of slapstick comedy um, in that era. And like three people physical acting against each other. I think other you'll very, find very that the origins of, of physical comedy, of slapstick humor, is just people getting hit and falling over and going, oh, and then other people laughing. Oh, yeah. But for money what i mean (laughs) like those guys got paid i suppose that's true eh so he goes over to the other room to get the champagne and notices that there's a tape recorder on the desk next to it which is also next to the book from the intro you remember that book from just now the one with the portal to evil (laughs) evil so the tape has Uh, funny enough that tape machine is one of the original props from the first film that's one of the few props that made it over it just seemed so much like uh, were they doing uh, product placement yet? Because they linger on that on that label of the brand name of the long. thing like a while. And there's multiple <laughs> shots of just, look, look at this brand name. And underneath it, it tells you one of the features of the tape recorder. <laughs> and like as audio guys, I'm, I'm sure we're looking at it going placement. like, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Uh, to my knowledge, it wasn't product placement, but you should never be sure. Maybe not, no. Uh, so the, it has a recording on it by a professor who discovered that this book was in a castle somewhere. And good job, prop and or art department, because that book that uh, he picks up here is absolutely a gorgeous object. Like they, they got illustrations Yeah, all the props have been so lovingly made. It really is. This is good job, everybody who made this. This is super, super cool. Uh, Then after some light exposition, the professor in the recording starts pronouncing the words in the book phonetically. And as he does that, uh, this goes about as well as you'd expect. No, you must not read from the book. Yeah, you see that book that has a face on it? Just read it out loud. (laughs) Why not? Let's, just to let you know that if you read from this book, it will definitely give you demons. By the way, these are the phonetic pronunciations. Yeah. But if you do want demons, then, I mean, here's how you do it. I'm not suggesting that you should have demons, but, you know, if you wanted to, just uh, just saying. Oh, and in a nice, compatible format, you don't have to learn any spells, you don't have to slaughter anything, just press play. Honey, how do you pronounce triangle followed by a foot? My love, 
Oh, right. Got it. <laughs> so, uh, also, holy shepherd tone, Batman. I kind of love the sound of this approaching whatever it is. Also cool I that it's like love that. camera POV stuff. Yeah, that's actually a combination. That effect, because I know you're a sound designer We're, yourself, so I know you'll appreciate the history yeah. of this. Um, it's a combination of Sam Raimi's voice and samples of Orson Welles. No way. I was Kid you I not. could have sworn I was hearing shepherd tone in there. I mean, it's it's built up as shepherd tone, but that's what the shepherd tone is built from. Oh, I see. So they're using it as that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, neat. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Do we know what they're saying? Or is it anything? Uh, I think Sam Raimi just goes, Yeah, but how do you get Orson Welles to be like, excuse me, Mr. Welles, could you just pronounce the following into oh, this just mic slowed here? It down. Just slowed it down by a factor of 10. I just, guess that would just, do it. Yeah, yeah. He has something of a voice, doesn't he? Oh, such a voice. Uh, also, as it turns out, uh, Ash has accidentally summoned something, and uh, that something has just taken Linda. Turns out her name is Linda. Quick, drop the champagne. <laughs> that dr- that bottle drop is just like, it's, and now you know that the problems have started. Well, it's also like, oh, better tell the audience that I'm surprised. Drop it. <laughs> and I'm looking at that going, that is such a waste. Stop it. I know, right? <laughs> So he goes outside to search for her, and, uh, oh, good, here she is. She's fine. See, she's even laughing. Yes, laughing a bit too much. Yeah, she's totally laughing. It's fine. She's probably fine. And then she even tries to jump on him and give him a hug. That doesn't end up going well. For for her, no, because he uh, has the shovel that was here for some reason and de- decapitates her with a shovel. Plot convenient weapons. Uh, plot, plot convenient. How easy it is to sever a human head. Oh yes, you. That I tell you what, that spade is sharp. Like that's uh, somebody, somebody altered that shovel to have like an edge on it. Or or well, there is a tool shed that we'll get to. Or <laughs> Ash is just Hulk and doesn't understand that he is Hulk. <laughs> It's a lot of strength in those arms. Yeah, right. So uh, there was a shovel nearby and he does his thing. And then, uh, you know, it's a good thing that that shovel was there because now he can bury Linda and keep the necklace that he gave her earlier, I guess. Because he is oh, yes. sad. You keep an eye on that MacGuffin. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. So after some more Shepherd Tone synth screaming, which is what I'm calling that noise now. <laughs> and uh, whatever this thing is, grabs Ash and spins him around a bunch and then throttles him through the forest. Oh, yes. That's a cool shot. Um, yeah. Like, the, did they do that in a, camera? That's crazy. What, the, the, the him being thrown backwards? Yeah, this is it. So I wonder if they did, like, a superimposition of, like, the camera going through the woods and then another shot of, like, they spin the camera around a bunch while he makes faces. Yes, that's it. The the um the branches that hit him were actually uh, held by Sam Raimi and Ted Raimi's. Um, oh, so they just, just slapping him with just him. slap him with with uh, branches. Yeah, Bruce Campbell actually broke his jaw in that show. Oh no, really? No, not really. It was a joke that Sam Raimi spread and Bruce Campbell spread around that he broke his jaw in that shot well, just to see who would believe it. Well, I'm I mean, really sorry that joke. I, I hope that his jaw was okay. Oh yeah, no. I mean, can seriously? You've seen that jaw. There's no break in that. I don't know. There's a lot of it to hit. Seems like they've got a lot of leverage on that. 
don't know why he needed a spade. He could have used his chin. True. So uh, Ash is thrown spine first into a tree, falls face down into a deep puddle, protagonist dead, roll credits. I mean, actually, he's an evil now. Yeah, funny, funny um, thing about those contact lenses. They they're not just effects. Those things were actually opaque. The actors were blind when they used them. All they had was like a general direction of where they were sort of supposed to be going and basically had to run on trust. So a lot of credit has to be given to those actors for being able to pull that off. (laughs) I honestly – this happens a few times in the film and I think that honestly it does add to it because it's Mm. there's something about zombie movement which is unaware of its own surroundings. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. These aren't zombies, though. These are deadites. I get what you're saying to me, but I'm saying that I feel like the weird, unnatural movements that they do, the especially ex- exaggerated as they are, I think this helps it mm. because they're not going to be – they're going to wha- flap their arm in a direction. They literally don't know whether there's a person there, so they just flap it. And if they hit them, it's like, exactly. oh, shit, sorry, are you okay? It, like after the shot. As opposed yeah, ac- to a real actor. Help. Who is going to be like, oh, I should probably not hit him that hard. <laughs> or, you know, any Hong Kong special effects uh, or stunt department, I mean. Those guys oh, actually yeah. take hits. Those They're insane people. I've seen that meme where you've got, like, you know, action stars in there and their stuntmen. Oh, yeah. You've got, like, Hugh Jackman with his and, uh, you know, Tom Cruise with his. And then you've just got Jackie Chan. Uh, you just got Jackie Chan. <laughs> Tom, Cruise, Tom Cruise does a lot of stuff, though. Yes, no, well, he's gotten a lot more into it. I yeah. think the only reason that he has stuntmen on at all is because they insist for the insurance. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Uh, he's not in this movie, though, because fortunately now it's morning and uh, he's turned back into a human uh, as, a bunch of, as a bunch of fog machines run in reverse. They can do that, goodness right? Is powered, goodness is solar-powered. Nope. Fortunately, the evil is solar-powered. So they're going to charge up their batteries during the day. And at the end of the day, they're going to use the energy. <laughs> so, you know, I think they're, this is eco-friendly evil. Well, you know, they want a world to to inhabit. So, they, of course, they're going to take care of, of it. Of course. So, you know, it's been a long day for Ash. So he decides to have himself just a little nap right here on the forest floor. In the middle of a puddle. That's the one. Pneumonia is calling. And as he wakes up, uh, we're treated to something I'm just not used to in more recent movies. A 40-second single shot of nothing happening as the camera pans slowly around the whole 360 scene. It's one of the things that makes this uh, film so powerful is that when it's going full on, it's going full on. But it is also very good with its timing and gives you reprieve and gives you a place to calm down. And weirdly, shots like that, apart, apart from being gorgeous, really help settle you in the atmosphere and make you feel like oh nuts we are alone in woods i'm gonna disagree slightly i don't think it's a gorgeous shot i think it's just such a pedestrian shot it's perfectly obvious it's not doing anything what it is doing is giving the audience a breather like this is the 
it reminds me of video game pacing in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like the, you'll have a big fight and then, okay, I've got a minute to collect my thoughts and figure out what's going on. Maybe go into the yeah, menu. Calm see down, what's going level on. up, do whatever. Yeah, yeah. Go into the menu, check my items, do whatever. This is that moment where like both the character and the audience seem to be on the same page here. And I like how they're making me relate to Ash, not because he has a compelling backstory, but because mm. he and I seem to be going through the same thing at the same time. I don't know of enough. I think I'm starting to understand why horror movies have an advantage in this kind of storytelling, right? Oh, very much. I mean, it's the whole thing. You can lead in so many different directions. So one, another film, which maybe we'll have a look at some point, Salem's Lot, that works on the, on the idea of having an impending, creeping doom that just intensifies throughout the course of the film. So it starts off really subtle and gets really intense. Boom! You said the magic word. That means that you win a prize. And the prize is, let's keep going. And the episode. Fair play. So so here are Ash's options at the moment. Go into the house that just grew illusory eyes and said, JOIN US! In all caps. Or, get in his car and leave immediately. Well, of course, he leaves. He leaves well, yeah, why the fuck wouldn't you? That house has <laughs> eyes. The, uh, that, that line, join us, has been completely rippled through uh, pop culture. If you ever watched a series called Spaced, which I would highly recommend. I have seen Spaced, um, actually. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's a good uh, show. Edgar Wright was heavily influenced, and the, wor- the name join us, the, the words join us was, was put into an episode. So was the poster for Evil Dead 2, to be fair. Neat. So uh, as he drives away, unfortunately, turns out that that bridge he came on, in on, it's been torn in half somehow. Oh, the desperation of, one, the, the art department again, making it look like a hand closing back on you, combined with um, oh, I guess Bruce so. Campbell's, no, it's just, just I didn't get against hand. that matte painting you were talking about. I guess was so, like, yeah. Really lets you know how, how boned he is. I didn't get hand weirdly. I got sort of cage rather than, but yeah, oh, yeah, it sort of does look like a hand, I guess you're, you're absolutely right. That works just as well. Yeah. Both things are, both things are real. Art is a thing. So <laughs> also turns out the camera is chasing him now and commence chase sequence. Okay, any more of that song and I'll have to pay rights for it. Thank you for stopping. (laughs) Unusually for a chase sequence, he crashes and flies straight through the windshield, then bleeds out on the forest floor roll credits. It's it's really not working out well for him. Yeah, so he's dead and, uh, you know, that's fine. That's the end of the movie. So what do you think about the movie? Well, you know, I thought, do you know what? Look over there. It's a plane. It is a plane. I mean, somehow he runs back to the cabin, followed closely by the by the camera, which, like, you'd expect that he gets the front door shut on him, but he doesn't. He he actually runs through the house for a while to evade the camera, and then loses it. Then oh yes, I forgot. And then I the camera sort that. of just gets bored and wanders off backwards. But it also does a really good that sh- that shot has a really good um, does a really good job of just showing you the entire environment. It's awesome. like you know every room in the house now. It really sets the scene beautifully. It, How could I have forgotten that scene? It's gorgeous. It is also I think my favorite shot in the, it's one of my favorite shots in the movie because first of all, it's a very difficult one to do and second of all, mm. I it showcases the I'm going to say I find Bruce Campbell moves in a way that reminds me of Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah. You, well, they, they're I mean? both 
brilliant uh, physical actors. And um, we'll also get into both that quite a tall, I guess, which I guess helps with the gangly long limbs. Yes, tall, thin, gangly. So yeah, uh, he looks like a tur- he, he hid in the cellar. But now we cut to the lady from that picture on the desk earlier. There was a picture on the desk earlier. And uh, she's coming out of a small aircraft and is greeted by her boyfriend, presumably. Welcome to the victims. I mean, the rest of the cast. Yeah, welcome to the Scooby gang. Uh, Helpfully, she says that she found some pages from the Book of the Dead. And she has them right here in this glass case. Turns out that they know that this thing could be the doorway to another world. Or probably not. Uh, But, you know, maybe. (laughs) You never know. Ooh, spooky. I love the way she says that line as well. It's just like, ah, oh, probably nothing. Or maybe everything. Or maybe it's this whole portal to an unknown universe. Okay, dear. So how was your flight? <laughs> Cut back. Baggage carousel. Right. Cut back to an understandably traumatized Ash, whose plan, I guess, is to wait out the night. Mm. And on hearing some... No- At this point, he's trapped. He can do nothing. That's true, because on hearing some noises in the other room, he decides to just go in there. And uh, really good use of darkness here, which adds to the atmosphere very well, I feel. And then we hear like... Oh, yes, it's sorry, gorgeous. No, no, I just said it's gorgeous. Yeah, we got some stream delay on here. We're doing this remotely to be safe, what with the COVIDs. Uh, we, I should wait for you to kick yeah. back up. We also <laughs> hear some video game, you found a secret sound effects like... Did you get that? He like goes into the room no, and I there's like a little that. sting going, bling. It's like, ah, the player found a secret. You find yourself in a room. Da-da-da-da. The room has a chair in it. Like it's, it's very Dungeons and Dragons, isn't it? <laughs> oh, the, the full description of the, of the place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole setting is a little bit, I, I guess it's, it either was before or has become quite cliche. Well, this is this is the the analysis. This is taking all of those tropes and just making something using them. I guess so. And having its own vision on how to do it, which again then knocks it down the line as people then homage it years later. Hey, you know that ghost is really good at playing piano. I love it. It's a it's just a nice way of getting um, non diegetic sound into into diegetic sound. I like that. So for those too. who don't know, so the, for those who don't, know, yeah, go ahead. Uh, diegesis is um, is the effect of having sound actually in the scene. Normally, when you hear music in a film, it's non diegetic, which means that it's not something that the, uh, the the characters can hear. It's just for us, the audience, to give us tone and and setting and things like that. Um, what this is is an example of where they have put in effectively non diegetic sound but made it part of the film by having the piano play itself <laughs> mm-hmm. which he doesn't see as weird at all <laughs> i guess he at this point he's seen whatever that thing is that's chasing him so he's like all right probably that too that's fine i mean it's just it just goes to show this film does so many different things with horror it does the uh, the jump scares and it does the you know the shock but it also really taps into more creeping horror I mean, this is the point where the, the, the place starts to mess up with, mess, mess with him, like seriously. Mm-hmm. It starts to bring in psychological fears. It starts to make him question reality. Mm. Like that's an even worse thing than the jump scares. Like it just blends them all very seamlessly. Yep. Just like in this very next bit where the boards he put over the window fly off somehow. And oh, look, there's a stop motion headless Linda doing her best Jack Skellington impression. Just who would have thought to put 
claymation. Like up till now, we have no. We've got a big matte matte painting, but we've mm. got no um, no animation, no extra stuff in there. And then out of nowhere, Ray Harryhausen. Let's just drop that. Drop some of that in there. It's very good stop motion too. Oh yes. And then she dances around for a bit, then disappears somehow. Bye-bye. Never mind, here she is. And she's not even mad about the whole decapitation then burying her dead thing. She just wants to dance mm. with Ash. That's sweet. She wants a kiss. She definitely wants a kiss. Look at her. She's just, it's Everything is fine now. Linda's fine. Not horrifying at all. Nope. Uh, Ash suddenly seems not to want to dance with her. Rude. <laughs> I mean, actually, the whole thing was a dream sequence. He's actually still in that rocking chair next to the fire. I mean, actually, here's the real Linda's head in his lap. So I guess he was actually not dreaming, but actually probably dreaming. But she was so upset by him not wanting to dance with Dream Linda that she bites his hand and then won't let go, even after Ash tries to persuade her gently by slamming her head into every possible object he can find. And this is one of the first times that you really see Bruce Campbell throwing some physical acting in there. I mean, effectively, that's a, you know, that's a, a, a dummy head stuck on his hand. Yep. All of all of how it interacts and how it plays is down to him, and he just aces it. It really is very good. Uh, fortunately, he spotted a work shed earlier and stumbles his way there, accompanied by some really lovely foley. Oh, it's, yeah. Like, the sound work in this is actually... Considering it on the budget that it was, like, it's actually really... I mean, I... Oh, I didn't say it. The budget of this film was a significant upgrade oh, yeah. <laughs> from the last one. So Evil Dead was on 350,000. Yeah. Evil Dead 2, three and a half million. <laughs> Which, again, let's, let's uh, put ourselves in context here. That's enough to make a feature-length film, right? It's not a crazy budget. It's also not a shoestring. That's like... It, you, can, you can do some work with that. Yes, which, as we have seen, they did. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but this is hardly like, a, you know, baby's first movie sort of film. <laughs> uh, turns No, like I say, you see, you see the progression. Like, if you watch the short film and then Evil Dead with the context of having seen what, you know, what they could do when they actually had the budget. Oh, for real, yeah. yeah, yeah. I kind of almost want to watch Evil Dead 1 now just to see as, like, an academic exercise. I might do that. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's worth it. He decides to crush her head in a bench vice, and then turns out that <laughs> uh, they have Linda's whole Linda's soul. Uh, turn. It's not clear who they are, but I guess it's whoever the whoever lives in the book. But I'm starting to think that they don't want to be friends. They are not a pleasant bunch. You wouldn't want them gay crashing a party. Put it that way. You know, maybe sometimes people are misunderstood. Also, Ash discovers... These guys aren't. <laughs> uh, may maybe these ones we understand actually quite well. Uh, Ash discovers that the chainsaw is missing. Fortunately, Linda found it. And uh, here you go, Ash. Here, let me just bring it straight over to you. Yeah, that's actually a callback to, to Evil Dead. Because in the, in the original film, um, he goes into the woodshed and he pulls the chainsaw from its place. In Evil Dead 2, he goes to the same place in what looks to be a scene-for-scene -scene recreation. But as he pulls it back, the chainsaw's not there, which then gives him the additional scare. That was of Sam Raimi being, being an awesome director oh. and going like, no, no, something new. Like anticipating what the audience might anticipate. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like that with good directors, the, the ones who are real detail-oriented. I really like that sort of thing. Speaking of detail-oriented, while we're still in the tool shed, um, that tool shed, funny enough, mm -hmm. has Freddy Krueger's glove in it. Which is a character that... From Nightmare on Elm Street. I have not seen that. 
Um, it, you, the, is this like a scissor hand? The wonderful thing? thing about it is the reason that the the reason that the glove is in there is because in the film Nightmare on Elm Street, on the television in one of the scenes, Evil Dead is playing. Oh, neat. So it's a nice tit for tat between the directors. Huh, neat. Going like, I loved your film. I loved your film. That's quite fun. I like the I like the little Easter eggs like that. I didn't notice it because I didn't, you know, I don't know to see it. Is this like, wait, I've seen this in like Halloween shots. There's that's a lot the, going on in that scene. That's the glove with the, with the knives for hands, for fingers. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, like knife rings that fit. Yeah, okay, I think I know the one. I guess that's from a movie, yeah. Oh, if not, it's a really, very, really faithful recreation. Cool, yeah. So, <laughs> but this whole thing is uh, this horrifying chainsaw accident and some wonderful puppetry. And then Ash retrieves the saw and then saws Linda's head in half, conveyed via the medium of shadow puppets and blood splatter. Proving that you can show gore without showing gore. Take note, modern horror filmmakers. Yeah, they also just, like, take a cup of glycine and red and just throw it at a light bulb, and then that's their red now. It all, it's all implication. It's cinema, it's cinema language that... Like, you, the audience, know what's happened. Your brain's doing the work. You don't need to show the guts all over the place to get the implication. I also like this about the the camera beast, whatever it is, because a modern guy would be like, okay, get the VR department, or the VR department, get the get the visual effects guys on it. Let's make a cool monster. And yeah, okay, I, I like a good monster, but sometimes just have it be nothing. Have the character, yeah. have the actor react to something and be like, oh, shit. Well, that... that- that's one of the things that worked really well in the film Alien. Was uh, also haven't you seen it. Don't see you don't see the, uh, the 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 beast throughout the majority of it, and that adds to the suspense. Dude, spoilers. Something else for you to enjoy. Spoilers. I was expecting like the tap dancing alien. It's like <laughs> a sequ- seen Spaceballs. Then <laughs> I have seen Spaceballs. <laughs> Excellent film. That's but that's not good. Evil Dead. It too. isn't. No. Uh, so cut to Ash working his way back into the cabin where the piano has stopped playing, and he decides to use the shotgun here instead of the chainsaw, which uh, is probably a good decision. So he grabs a pocket full of shells, and then the rocking chair is rocking on its own. So Ash decides that the best course of action is to touch whatever is sitting there, and he is promptly possessed and drops his newly acquired firearm. To be fair, a... a gun really wasn't going to do much good against ghosts i mean i've never shot at a ghost maybe it does i have to have to admit because in england we don't have access to those kind of firearms i've never tested it either maybe that's an experiment we can run and i see all the places that have ghosts they don't have firearms and all the places that have firearms don't have ghosts maybe this is uh, maybe those two things are related I see the correlation there. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's an experiment worth worth doing. Support, I can't see how that could possibly go bad. gun badly. rights because you need to fight the ghosts. <laughs> that's the main reason that you need those. Uh, looking in the mirror, he says to himself, I'm fine. But his reflection is nonetheless concerned for his well-being, given that he's just dismembered his girlfriend with a chainsaw. So after a bit of self-care, I mean self-strangulation, turns out he's actually fine, probably. That whole scene was be- so beautifully done. It's so good. The other actor, because, like, take in mind that at the time they didn't have, like you said, they don't have VFX to the rate to the rate that we have them today. So that's actually um, mirror play between Bruce Campbell, who is in the hole in the wall, and Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother. Oh, neat. 
just at an angle so you can't see him. And it's just them performing together for that initial that initial scene so that they get the effect of the grab. Remember the first time I saw it, it was truly a sign of the marvels of the of, of the magic of cinema to be able to create that effect and have it appear real. To me, this is a real good argument for if you can do it practical, if you can like do it mm. VFX, if you can find no way to do it practical, or if it would mm-hmm. put somebody's life in danger or, you know, risk maiming. Yeah, so, yeah. Like that's a situation where I'm like, okay, I'm not expecting you to actually be in a car crash. Fuck. No. All right. I get that. No, of course. Uh, but stuff like this, people would do that VFX now and be like, oh yeah, it's just easier. It's cheaper to do that rather than have another day with the actors. Where I would say, yeah, I don't would, know, have some dedication to your craft, buddy. Well, funny enough, um, this brings me to a John Carpenter film, Nightbreed, where he created loads of like not, of monstrous effects using nothing but practical effects. Neat. Absolutely gorgeous. I guess I miss the sort of uh, – the, the it, it has a different presence on screen, and I think a lot of that is that the actors have something to, physical to respond to, whereas a lot of modern mm. acting, they have the same sort of six facial expressions because the directors mm. tell them, okay, and now you see the monster and you continue to see the monster and he's slobbering all over you and, and cut. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. And meanwhile, yeah. well, the whole thing, he was just looking like at, a tennis ball on a stick. He was just looking at green, <laughs> green. Yeah, there's either a mark on the camera that says like this is where you should be looking, yeah. or there's a tennis ball on a stick going. Ooh, you know, here's the eye line. Look at the spooky eye line. I am a spooky <laughs> tennis ball. I mean, that would be just the play now. Really that would be the play now yeah, is yeah. to make the tennis ball somehow spooky. Put little, um, take a sharpie and just draw a little face with some teeth. On I mean, it. I'm afraid now <laughs> of that. So uh, he should probably, you know, he he probably should have that scene, that hand scene too. Because <laughs> I think the the I think Linda is secretly a hand vampire. Oh, the infecting the infection of the dead. No, we can call that infecting. That's okay. Infecting. We can call that that. I mean, I was going to call her a hand pyre, but that's okay. <laughs> I prefer that. I also <laughs> like that. So cut to the airplane people, the, I mean the Scooby gang from before, arriving at the broken bridge where a worker is diligently putting up some warning signs warning people that the bridge is out. Turns out the bridge is out. Who would have thought? Continuity people. Continuity people. So there's a trail... And these two very helpful people are there, and they're quite happy to take these folks, uh, take some time out of their evening to help these folks get where they're going to go at, I think, a reasonable price. You know, 100 bucks will take all of your stuff for you, even. Yeah, the the hick, the, the actor who plays the hick, funny enough, he's a, guy, he's a guy called Dan Hicks. <laughs> that was his first film. Oh, I hope not his uh, last. Did the, his screen presence is very not good. Not at all. Not at all. Um, Sam Raimi brought him back for Darkman and Spider-Man 2. Neat. So cut back to the cabin where Ash is having some difficulties with his hand. He tries to, like, I guess, wash off whatever's in the hand, I guess. And his hand ends up just slamming crockery into his face while some quite obvious ADR plays over his unmoving lips. I know, but just, just again, to completely fan out over Bruce Campbell's so good. superb physical acting. He's so good! Mm. But like sound guy thing, I'm looking at that like, oh, they couldn't use wild there, eh? 
<laughs> like they didn't have like there was a plane overhead or some shit. I, I fine, you know. There's a there's a few. You remember the line earlier where he says woodshed? Yeah. That's quite clearly dubbed an ADR. They re- he did say it in the original film, mm. but they they just could not use it at all. The sound apparently was absolutely appalling. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a good argument for both. You really should be investing a couple extra takes or planning for a couple extra takes for your sound department to make sure the production sound is good. But also that audiences is the best that it can possibly be. Yeah, that audiences don't actually care about ADR. Except, of course, that, you know, do you have budget for ADR? For those of you who don't know, we're, we're slamming around some terms here. Uh, this is automatic dialogue replacement, which is... You, you're... Bizarre, because it's not automatic, and it's not dialogue. <laughs> we both understand Strictly what we're saying. Speaking. It can't, it's mostly dialogue, in my experience. <laughs> well, it's a monologue. It's an actor talking to himself. Yeah, I get you, but... You know, when, when you write the fucking label... Pen, when you write the label on the fucking track, how many characters do you have to write, right? You call it dia. I'm just being a pedant. You call it D-I-A, dialogue, right? I mean, I guess you could have another one that's monologue, but then, you know, what happens if it's a stereo track? Then you got S-T-Mono. Hey, you were talking about Latin earlier. Die is two, mon is one. I mean, you've got a point there, but again, I think at a certain level, just don't confuse the rest of the sound crew. You're just gonna, you know, two means one, one means six. It's fine. <laughs> what part of this don't you understand? But yeah, it's called ADR, and it's what happens like if you're doing something like uh, I don't know, Victorian uh, outdoor shot where people are talking and walking and whatever. You you might record the audio there, and you have the perfect fucking take, and everything works well, and the light's perfect. Shall we not describe ADR to people yet? There's no problem with uh, describing ADR. You were getting so passionate about it. I guess Go so. Yeah, it. I got interrupted and like that I get interrupted and I have no idea what I just said or what's happening anymore. That's okay. Oh, just describing that, that uh, ADR when you've got those big massive wide shots and, you know, you can't get a boom right in their face because, funny enough, it's very, very wide. You mean so to tell me do, that you, you can't get, get a, a 50 meter long boom pole on someone's shoulders? I mean, you could. It wouldn't look good, but it you could. It wouldn't look good at all. It would still probably be in shot. So, but the other thing is, if you're doing something that's not period well, uh, you got like a Victorian scene outdoors and people walking and talking. Even close, you're fine. But then an airplane passes over. Do you want an airplane sound in your Victorian period drama? You know what I mean? Not really. Exactly. And, you know, if every other thing is right, then the director might say, okay, we'll re-record that later. So the actor comes into the studio, they play that bit of tape with them on it again, they put it in the loop, as it used to be called, and then they just record over themselves a couple times until it's like, okay, that's it. And and those studio times cost, like, a lot of money. Yeah, because just, just the skill of trying to be able to make it sound like you were there like recapture that energy from that tape i've done that and remember it maybe six months later yeah i've done that and try to get it to fit it's like it's not it's a skill it's very difficult to do and a lot of actors can't do it even we spent a lot of time talking about adr also check out this dedication (laughs) to physical acting oh yes the hand manages to knock him out and crawls its way across the floor to where there's a cleaver, which I guess um, 
that's there for a re- I guess it might have got knocked over. It's a kitchen. I guess uh, in all of the hubbub, it might have got knocked down from that cupboard or whatever. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. That, that entire kitchen is destroyed. It is. I mean, again, I'm looking at this going, after th- after that take, what, I hope someone checked on Bruce. I was like, Bruce, are you? Is that okay? Are you all right? Is he all right? Is he I mean, awake? I know it was all sugar glass, but are you okay? <laughs> Because he, like, he slams his face into a cupboard a couple of times, and I'm not convinced that's all fake blood. Oh, no. Uh, Bruce Campbell put a lot of himself into it, but the person who really took the majority of the damage was Ted Raimi. Mm. Like, he he took some serious um, knocks and bumps and scrapes and put himself in positions that boiled him alive. He was in some of these suits for, like, days at a time. Like, it was... He really took took the brunt of that. But you're right. Bruce Campbell was no slouch in that department. Like, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, in these shots, these are close-up shots. There's no way to put a stunt double in here when you have to see the actor's face and you want to do it as a continuous, right? Hmm. So, uh, unfortunately for his hand, Ash stabs his hand in the hand. <laughs> Who's laughing now? Who's laughing? I mean, Bruce is laughing. <laughs> Ash, I mean, is definitely laughing quite convincingly. I think. As he grabs the nearby oh. chainsaw, which is nearby for some reason, and uh, starts it with his teeth, and then amputates his own ye- his own hand while yelling, "Who's laughing now?" As he gets sprayed with arterial blood, I guess. Holy fuck! Yeah, is this the most metal yeah. thing? I mean, apart from Christopher Lee singing death metal, yeah, this is this is pretty fucking metal. And to be fair. Christopher Lee singing death metal, that's a thing. No, I have heard it. It's wonderful, which is why I was just <laughs> adding to it rather than yes ending, because there's nothing else to be said there. That is absolutely oh, yeah, also yeah. metal as shit. But yeah. I, yeah. I, but also the intensity, like he's he's able to convey that he's laughing while also being hysterical. Like, again, the acting chops on that he's guy. He's very good. He's very good. But also, what if I may, generally, just as a guy, you know, regard as being a B movie actor, I guess, yeah. But I mean, let's just just as a guy who has used a chainsaw a bunch, do you know how fucking hard that would be? Well, we did say he was a very, very strong man. The neck muscles <laughs> on this fucker. God damn, it's pretty. It, that would be. I've never known anybody able to do that, and I know people who probably would try. <laughs> pro tip don't it's but a bad not idea bruce campbell they're not the legend that is bruce Ooh, campbell. and it's also not a prop so cut to the trail where the helpful roadside assistance regrets offering to carry this nice lady's luggage and then cut back to the cabin where ash puts a bucket over the hand <laughs> did you notice the name of the of the book that got, oh yeah because put he top? put some books on t- i i did i don't have a note of it but i did notice yeah, yeah. So he gets a load of books, puts them on top of the can to obviously weigh the can down. Uh-huh. The book on top, farewell to arms. Yeah. Oh, it was that, wasn't it? Because the hand <laughs> no longer has its arm. So he considers this like enough to trap the hand that dragged his whole self across the floor. Needless to say, it isn't. Yeah, no, he patches himself up with like some doilies and duct tape. Doilies and duct tape. That's the best combination. I mean, duct tape. Always. Duct tape will fix anything. Doilies and duct tape sounds like one of those shops you find in small towns where it's like there's a family and like the mother makes doilies and the father just bought 
two pallets of duct tape by accident last spring, and they sell doilies and duct tape. Oh, I, I totally shopped there. I mean, absolutely, yeah. I've, I've shopped at places called things like Quilts and Jam. You ever bought... Qu- does exactly what it says in the tin, I assume. <laughs> yeah, on the jar of jam. it's uh, It has jam in it, and then they also have quilts, because they make quilts and they have jam. Like, I like shops like that. You know what you're getting. Exactly. There's there's no there's no trickery. There's no confusion. There's no oh I wonder what that is. Oh, it's only that. No 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 no. You, it says quilts and jam. I went to Target once and, and I was very disappointed. <laughs> I knew what I wanted. They didn't have it, which is bizarre because they've got guns, right? So oh no, the hand has escaped. It's lightweight tin prison. Who could have ever guessed that that was coming? Dun, dun, dun. Fortunately, Ash has a shotgun, and if we know anything about guns, is that they solve every problem. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fortunately. Oh, particularly shotguns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shotguns <laughs> are like, they solve things twice as fast, what with the two barrels. So Ash has Indeed. that shotgun and plenty of ammo, and no hand is a match for shotgun, provided you actually can aim the thing, which unfortunately Ash can't. Oh, it's just not holding it right, not aiming in the right position. The feedback on that thing, how he didn't break himself. By I feedback, I, I imagine you mean recoil. Oh, that is exactly what I Yeah, mean. that Thank thing should have flown me. directly backwards the way he was holding it. I, I know, right? With with half of his chest with it. <laughs> yep, that's going to that's gonna hurt. So, uh, unfortunately for Ash, Thing, I mean Linda, I mean his hand, I mean Linda is pretty evasive, and those shells go straight through the wall, and then the wall starts bleeding. Homage to Stanley Kubrick. I mean, let Thank me s- you so much. Let for the me shot. say that again because I think I think I need to mention it again. The wall is bleeding a lot. <laughs> is this an homage? To, I, I haven't seen. Uh, what was it? A Kubrick? Uh, it was The Shining, yeah. a Stephen King film. Uh, St- Stephen King book yeah. that was then converted into a film starring Jack Nicholson. Okay, I, I think um, I there's know. There's a very infamous scene in there. Is that the the one where he writes on the wall and then Jack Nicholson puts an axe through the door? It's the one where Jack Nicholson puts, puts an axe through the door, yes. There's another shot with a, a lift full of blood, and I think essentially this is an homage Okay, because this is like a fire hose of blood. Oh, yeah. And again, we go back into the Three Stooges. It's back into the Prattfall comedy. I guess, because like, this, is, this is quite messy. Fortunately, this is like polite blood, because it turns black and then uh, unbleeds itself back into the wall. So, I, yeah, no harm, no foul, I guess. Ta-da! So Ash is a bit tired, and he tries to sit down on a chair, which collapses under him, and this amuses the taxidermy deer head on the wall. This is the f- this is where I first came in. So the first time I ever saw Evil Dead Two, uh-huh. I was only about eleven or twelve. Oh, you poor thing! And I know, and I was very very lucky to have had a very very tiny television in my room uh-huh. um, that my mum didn't want because she'd upgrade. Yeah. Um, so there I am, just late night watching television, which I shouldn't have been doing, and. In England, you've got Channel 4, which at the time was supposed to be an alternative to the mainstream. It's literally, it's, it's, it's um, exactly its whole the reason for existing is to be the, yeah, to, to be the, the alternate channel to the BBC. Yeah. Um, so I'm flicking through the channels. I hit Channel 4 late at night. This is where I come in. So I come in with him having been spurted with blood. It all coming back. 
him sitting down and crashing through the chair. So immediately I'm thinking, oh, this is a comedy film. Yeah. Then that deer head stuck. Like twerks and starts laughing. Did you? And oh. I am terrified. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I think I need to pick you up on. Did you describe this uh, this head as twerking? Uh, I might. Have I think you, that's not what I, I meant. I think you said the word twerking, <laughs> and I mean I'm not going to disagree with you. But I. But it's, it's, it just goes you know. Yeah. And just turns. So let me let me just say this one more time. This amuses the taxidermied deer head. <laughs> It's so okay. So, uh, and then the descent into madness. Yeah, I mean, it's the fact that he fell through the chair is so funny. In fact, that the whole rest of the household objects start laughing as well. And you know, sometimes when things get really tough, you just got to be able to laugh a bit, and then after you'll just feel better. Baby, get a cup of tea; it'll be fine. <laughs> that's the that's my takeaway from this movie, right? Right. Oh, you know, everything everything works out in the end? Question mark? <laughs> so, understandably jumpy, Ash hears a knock at the door and immediately fires his shotgun at whatever the fuck it is on the other side of that door. Turns out that whatever the fuck it is on the outside of that door was Plain Lady and her merry band of Scooby gang. Yeah, at this point, I'll bring up the character of Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe, that's her uh, name. The, that is her name. Yeah, she was um, there. That's actually based, that's actually based on uh, Holly Hunter. Who? You aware of who Holly Hunter is? No. Um, is she a hunter? A little, a little IMDb shirt will will uh, will give you all the details. Okay. Well, you um, well you look that up, and I will tell our audience that uh, this merry band of adventurers is clearly here to save Ash. Hooray! And uh, now everything can go back. I mean, actually, they think Ash killed this lady's parents, and so they beat the shit out of him, then lock him down in the basement. Oops. <laughs> so as the Scooby gang investigate the house, they find no signs of the parents' bodies, but they do find the tape recorder, and then they hit the play button to hear a record of her father who has accidentally resurrected some demons. Turns out, Lady's mother, Henrietta, is host to a Kandarian demon, and she tries to kill him. But he couldn't, but he killed him first. He, he, no, sorry, he killed her first. And then he himself, he couldn't, he couldn't dismember her corpse. I mean, now that we see the hand thing, I guess that probably wouldn't have helped either way. But he put her in the basement instead. You know, the basement, like that cellar where, uh, where recently Ash got put. Oh, yeah. Also, hey, just like Linda. Yeah, so Holly Hunter. Oh, yeah. Most famously appeared in The Piano. Okay, uh, and she was uh, she was a a housemate with Sam Raimi. Do you know who else was in that house? I don't know this film house or people. Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers. Remind me the Cohen, the Cohen Brothers. Oh, brother, where art thou? Uh, Fargo. Haven't seen those. I think I've heard of this. Isn't aren't they the Cohen siblings now? Isn't one of them trans? Uh, you're thinking of the Wachowskis. That might be what I'm thinking of. Excuse me. Yeah, Cohen Brothers. Yeah, cool. Uh, I guess... Yeah, Big Lebowski. Um, haven't seen it. Yeah. You've seen the list, man. You know what I haven't seen. <laughs> this just feels mean at this point. But for the audience members, yeah. it's just a nice little tidbit that all of these people are linked and related. And in fact... Uh, it's the tittiest of oh. bits. Frances McDormand, who appeared in Fargo, was also 
um, a housemate as well. So it's, they're all interlinked and intertangled. Anyway, Neat. getting back to Evil Dead. Yeah, so right on cue, here's Henrietta's emerging from the earth in the cellar with a few worms coming out of her head. And the Scooby gang decide to let Ash out and manage to do it just in the nick of time. Ted Raimi, um, his first appearance, um, just terrifying is, as a this is demon Ted. grandmother. That's amazing. And you get the first, you, you see the, the shot where the head transforms. That is the first shot of what will be known as the rotten apple head. But we'll get back to that later. The rotten apple head. Oh, yeah, because oh, it yeah. turns into this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So see Henrietta here. Uh, she likes she likes Ash mostly. The thing that she likes about him and admires about him most is that he has a nice fresh soul. None of that tinned or dried nonsense. It's hard to get fresh soul these days. Mm-mm. Gotta love that fresh soul taste. So Henrietta's eyeball flies into unnamed. I I had her as unnamed lady for a while, but I mean, what Bobby Joe? Bobby Joe. Yeah, that's how yeah. much of an impact she left on me. She just sort of shows up, delivers two lines, and then later dies spoilers yes it's a bit of a shame for her bless um she's very good at the thing but she does two things and i was like wait what's her name again <laughs> yeah she swallows the eyeball which is obviously a, a reversed shot so they didn't actually hit her in the face with an eyeball yeah she took the eyeball the... and pulled it out yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> though at the same time i like to think they just did a bunch of takes of like okay open wide <laughs> i'm just gonna take this ping pong ball here just it's fine Mostly I want that because I'd like at some point for someone to uncover the outtakes and just have actors falling about giggling their fucking asses off. Well, that wouldn't be difficult. Um, For a few days of filming this film, they were stoned off their asses. Wait, really? (laughs) Yeah. There was an entire film that – there was entire sections of the film that just – you know, they they took a day, got nothing done, and then went, right, can't be doing that anymore. (laughs) So Henrietta, yeah, uh, so as, as Ash fills them in on what he knows, and there's something out there, you see, out in the woods, in the dark, something, something that's come back from the dead. Dun, dun, dun. I'm a dead ringer for him when I deliver it, eh? Uh, this upsets <laughs> the helpful trucker man, uh, whose name was Jake, Jack, Jake, Jack? Sounds Jake. right. Probably. Uh, and they have a bit of a tiff until they're interrupted by a seemingly quite human Henrietta singing Mama's Gonna Buy You a Mockingbird in an attempt to get her daughter to unchain her so she can eat them. Uh, but but we know she's not really human. Oh, no, not at all. And there's nothing more creepy than putting in a nice, innocent lullaby into a horrifying situation. I suppose not, eh? Which is weird, because you'd think it would have the opposite effect of being like, oh, someone's singing a lullaby, that means everything's safe. Perfect. The corruption of innocence is something that uh, horror has been doing for a very long time, and it just there's something about it that just sets people off, makes, makes the chills come up the back of the neck. It's okay, guys. Mom's here. She's going to fix everything. Also, uh, also, Mr. Boyfriend here is also not really human, as it turns out. Because, see, he's uh, one of the things, one of the things, and, like, probably, I didn't, was this telegraphed at all? Did something bite him, or was he just suddenly a thing now? No, no, the, the, the whole thing about this is that the force out in the woods, it's toying with them. 
they're fighting to survive. Like the, the the forces are just messing with them. They can possess them anytime they like. Oh, I see. That's the that's the that's the the takeout from this is that they are so powerless. And everything that happens, you know, like they've survived the next thing, the next thing, what's the mm-hmm. next thing? And it's just it's just the forces of evil messing about. Yep. And here the forces of evil decide to chant Dead by Dawn over and over a little bit. Thanks, movie. I was wondering when that tagline would become relevant. Because <laughs> that's the tagline, Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, right? Dead by Dawn. Oh, yeah, and there's your time in it. Great. What's the time now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as the new undead thing attacks them, Ash retrieves an axe and uses it to kill, I mean, unkill? Rekill? The boyfriend demon zombie man thing. And totally this, rekill. I, maybe rekill? I think rekill. <coughs> uh, we, this, we missed a line from earlier, I oh, think. Oh, did we? Where, Go ahead. Where Bob, oh, it's just, a, just a, something I, I made a note of that I wanted to bring up. Absolutely. The beautiful bits of uh, when Bobby Joe and, and, and Jake are sort of holding, holding hands and he's and Ash is reliving what's happened. And he he leans over and says, Bobby, stop holding my hand so tight. Oh, no, that, that actually <laughs> oh, no, happens Bobby a little Joe, later. Bobby Joe says, stop holding my hand so tight. Oh, no, it's, have it I happens a little later. Sorry, You're jumping ahead. ahead, yeah. Because this, you, uh, this guy has the green blood because the art department cared deeply about telling a story through color palettes, probably. Either that or they were like, you know what would be cool now? Green. Which, you know, it just does. Gotta, you just got to know the difference between what's evil and what isn't. Yeah, uh, so far, know, black evil, red, just general blood people, and then green, also evil. Uh, we, we, we've got a thing going. <laughs> after dispatching the undead dealies, uh, we get another one of these wonderful shots where we get to experience the tension decrease, but only slightly as the camera dollies back slowly, keeping the whole Scooby Dang in frame as they sort of just try to process what the fuck just happened. Mm. And again, I, I keep wanting to call these out because they're not the big bombastic shots that you'd think that a scene by scene would be paying attention to. But fuck, they they hang on this for 40 fucking seconds. <laughs> it's a very good. And again, it reminds me of the video game pacing where it's like, OK, if you're 100% action all the time, folks get tired. Give them a fucking break. Right? Oh, yeah, very easily. So cut to some time later when it turns out that the trail they came in on just isn't there anymore. And like the woods, it just swallowed up that whole trail. And then this is still, it's pro- like we get a shot of a clock and it's only 20 to 11. Either that or the clock is broken. I mean, look right there. The, the pendulum just stops on the right side. It must be <laughs> caught on something. We'll have to fix that later. Oh, you're not getting out of here. Dawn isn't coming. No, and yeah. You will definitely yeah, be dead yeah. by it. Yeah, but you see this other clock here reads 11.30 p.m., so I'm sure that's fine. And here, as if on cue... Time is relative. It's, a, it's relatively okay. <laughs> it's, pro, it's relative night, probably. And, uh, and as if on cue, when the lady here says it's so quiet, after another of these wonderful 30-second quiet sequences, things get real loud. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine how much fun the sound designers were having here. As my understanding, I think Sam Raimi was in on the entire process. So, oh, yeah? you know, he definitely, not micromanaged, but definitely hand-stitched this together. Nice. With just pure passion. And it shows that the love for, for this project just shows the entire way through, from set design and art, through sound, you know, the choices of actors, every, locations, everything is just picked to perfection. I'm going to go on record as saying whenever I'm doing sound for stuff like this, I like it when directors really want to be involved, but also understand when to let me do my job. You know what I mean? Exactly. 
It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it can feel real directionless. Right. I, yeah. Okay. Director directs whatever. I, I get like there's wordplay <laughs> to be had there, but you know, you know what I'm saying, right? No, totally. I mean, the the whole thing is that any director that has a vision, hmm. you know, of course you can always give responsibility for how something looks over to other departments. Take George Lucas and the Star Wars franchise. Like hmm. he had the vision, but it took all the departments working to to get the whole thing together in a way mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. had the massive success. Um, so you can do that, but then you compare it to something where, as a as a sound designer, you have a director says like, "This is what I want to achieve," and yeah. it sparks something in you that just goes, "I know how to do that." Yeah, and then you gives them some variance, and they go like, "It's not quite how I imagined it in my head. I imagined it more," and, and because it's very difficult for people who aren't sound engineers and even for sound engineers to describe sounds mm. that are in their head. The, oh, yeah. the vocabulary just doesn't really exist. So they'll say words like, I need it crunchier or I need it I need it more more spongy. And we've got to then translate that into, yeah. into making it. But Oh, like, I've got the, a the... brief before that said, make it more purple, would you? <laughs> oh, my Lord, yes. And I just like, I sent back a thing going like, okay, here you go. And I just did something that I thought it was sounded cool and they liked it. So I was like, I guess that sounds purple. There you go. You now know what purple is. You'll have to share that with me at some point. <laughs> uh, I I added like a I think I added like a siren and like left it low in a mix or something. I don't fucking know what I did. I just went like, <laughs> all right, I guess I'll do something random. Here you go. But yeah, uh, the sound sort of castle thunders its way into the distance. I'm convinced they just took a castle thunder and did a bunch of nonsense to it. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is the weird thing. I haven't seen Frankenstein, but I know the fuck out of Castle Thunder. <laughs> this is the the thunder sound from Frankenstein for those not like it, it's like a Wilhelm scream. Like there's a bunch of different people who've used stuff like this as their signatures. I think Castle Thunder, I don't know if it was any person's signature now I'm thinking about it. I think everybody just went no. like that's a thunder sound. Let's use that. Yeah. I'm thinking back to like the original Boris Karloff films for Frankenstein. Yeah, there's there's something in the uh not Hammer Horror, but in the Universal Horror Library, like when they were originally making f- films for mass production in horror, things like Dracula, uh, The Creature from the Black, Black Lagoon, Wolfman, uh, mm. Frankenstein, like a load of these effects were, you know, were created and it just added a, a sense of cohesion to all of those films. I guess that's true, eh? Because you hear the same sound in all of them and you're like, these are all the same universe because they sound the same. Exactly. And then you've got, obviously, people who were influenced by those things then go like, I watched Frankenstein and it made me want to get into film. So then they take that sound and, and put that memory into their own material. Mm. And then, yeah, you've kind of got this nice callback to sort of like show where people's influences come from. And then the rest of us who are like, film. we're going to use it as uh, some sort of weird shibboleth to be like, look, I'm a sound designer. I understand the Wilhelm scream. No, I haven't seen ah! whatever the movie is that it's from, the Western. <laughs> no, do you know what? I don't even know what film it originally comes from. I have it written is down somewhere. Terrible? It's something like it's a character called Wilhelm. Let me just, I'll, I'll send it to you. It's hilarious. So <laughs> it's not a good movie. I i will say that much. I didn't like it. Maybe it's a good movie. I'd, I'd be interested to know. Like I'll do, do some research once this is, yeah. once we finish recording. So here's the plan. We all go into that room together. I mean, Ash goes into the room alone. I mean, the lady here <laughs> joins him. Also, here's a lantern. Don't split the party. Don't by the split way, the party. split the party. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out it was nothing, and the party gets unsplit very quickly, and they say, oh, yeah, I told you, nothing's here. Actually, there definitely is something here, but this one is friendly. Uh, see, this is Annie's father, who informs them that the only 
that only by using the MacGuffin can they hope to MacGuffin their way out of the MacGuffin land. Finally, we've we've realized we've we've got a, a, some stakes now because up until this point, the characters have no stakes. They're literally just being toyed with. They yep. have no recourse. They have no ability to fight back. All they can do is survive. And now, at this point in the film, through MacGuffin Land, we get the whole. There is something you can do. There is a way to win. There is a way to live, which then drives the whole third act. Jake, you're holding my hand too tight. Ah, uh, here we go. Bobby Joe, I ain't holding your hand. <laughs> I think he says baby, but yeah, that's the one it is. Uh, turns out uh, the hand is not his hand. It's that other hand. You remember Linda. <laughs> the Linda Ash hand. Yep, Linda Ash hand, I guess. Uh, so this is this is a bit much for Bobby Joe, who runs off screaming into the woods. This will definitely go well for her. Yes, and here we get a callback to what we were talking about earlier. You remember I said that uh, in the original Evil Dead, there was a very troublesome scene. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear. I can't imagine that running out into the woods, she might fall foul of some sort of tree demon, which might tie her up in branches and vines in a manner which reminds me of that scene in Food Wars, which I covered recently. Ah, callback of your own. Yeah. So yeah, this is, this is Sam Raimi basically taking on board the criticism that he got for that scene in Evil Dead. And equaling the horror without all of the difficult material to go with it. So this is his rehash of that scene, and it's superior, I think, in every way. Well, uh, having not seen the original one and just from your thing, it did seem reminiscent to me of, like, like I say, it's the it strikes me as like a weird hentai tentacle porn thing in a way. Was that what it was yeah. doing in the original? I mean, it's essentially, in the original film... Um, the victim is wearing a dress for starters. So then when the tendrils are wrapping round, it's just a natural progression to go up. And then, yes, you get this sort of close-up of the face as, as you get the implication of what's yeah. actually happened there. Yeah, that's no um, fun. Let's not have no. people be raped by trees. That Even in a horror movie, I feel like there's a line that I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm no, I'm no longer horrified. I'm like, that's gross. Should I, I mean, leave? I should leave. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a terrible subject matter to be approaching i mean horrifying certainly but not in an entertaining way and it shouldn't be in stuff but so this is his attempt to sort of make up for that mistake yeah because initially like you know her, her clothes Bobby get Joe, a bit Bobby torn jeans. but you're, you're if yeah. something is tearing your arm out of its socket yeah it's going to tear your shirt too so that part i'm like i'm comfortable with exactly and bobby joe's in jeans so yeah. like she's protected as you know i mean from that from that perspective <laughs> yeah i mean at, at least it's not like glorifying anything it this literally feels like she's being trapped and torn to shreds and maybe buried alive by this tree though there yeah. is also a scene a, a, just a specific shot of her open mouth that somebody's just pokes some twigs into <laughs> which i thought was super funny like just the yeah, image this... of like okay so here's the shot <laughs> uh let me explain to you what's going to happen now and her just going I am glad you're paying me well for this. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. I'll eat the... some twigs. Fuck it. But this is just another example of a different type of horror being used. I mean, we've gone from, we've gone jump scares. We've gone psychological horror. We've had um, dreams and questioning reality. We've had very evil demons. And here we hit body horror. Like, it's just another Did you say... genre of horror that gets introduced and seamlessly put in. Did you say Audie horror? Body horror. Got it. Because, like, Bill Audie horror. I don't know if Bill Oddie started coming at me with 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 a load of branches. I'd be pretty scared. Any non-British person is real confused now. So let's move on. 
Uh, so right. he's a goodie. <laughs> is he? Okay. So he was <laughs> cutting back to the cabin. Ash has decided that rather than opening the case, he'd rather smash the glass because reasons. It's it's a beautiful transition between Bobby Joe being pulled into the tree and hitting black, and then you just cut straight to the to the case being dropped and shattering, which is just a lovely little like it is lovely. She's been destroyed, and they've now f- broken their way in. It's it's a nice little piece of cinematic language. I get you, but at the same time, I'm like, it's your case. Why would you br- you have the key? I know, right? <laughs> it's so, it's, just it's like... Annie is right there. It's her. She could open it. The whole point is that it's openable. <laughs> i mean glass right like a hammer <laughs> like with his bare hands to too drop it. i mean at this point yeah. he's lost so much blood maybe that's it maybe he's like fuck it <laughs> just go for the direct route gravity do my work yeah. for me <laughs> so you see now they have the the pages and can use the MacGuffin to MacGuffin everything up and return the world to rainbows and sunshine and friendship and MacGuffin land and also that picture of a man with a chainsaw uh, for a hand carrying what appears to be some sort of fire stick. They call him the hero from the sky. Mm, see, foreshadowing he was, much? Yeah, see, he was uh, prophesized to destroy the evil, like the entire evil, whole thing. And uh, he didn't do a very good job, oh, yes. according to Ash. Well, this is the thing, like, the, I, I love that line, just like, you, you see the picture, and it's very clear that it's him. Like, there's no, there's no, like, he's the only person with a, with a chainsaw around and you're sort of like looking at it and he goes like he was supposed to have done the destroyed all the evil and he goes and you just have ash go hasn't done a very good job <laughs> yeah so here's the plan step one cast a spell which makes the evil manifest itself in the flesh step two open a portal of some kind and banish the thing into wherever the portal goes someone else's problem now Make a poo, flush the loo that's the one so Jake however is concerned about Bobby Joe so concerned that he picks up the shotgun and threatens to kill everyone else unless they agree to go outside and search for her. He is likewise unimpressed with the idea that some kind of MacGuffin might MacGuffin their way out of this, so he puts the MacGuffin down the MacGuffin hole. Yes, and the only place that's, you know, clearly he's lost his mind by this point, mm-hmm. which is the only reason that his actions make any sense. Like, he wants us to go and see his girlfriend... I know what, I'm going to take the two items and force a third act yep. <laughs> like confrontation by just chucking this in the one place that there's a locked demon. I mean, I can't imagine that he'll fall foul of some sort of tree demon, surely. Who could possibly say? So, hey, look, tree <laughs> demons. Maybe yeah, they... Oh, look, over there, there. Maybe they know where Bobby Joe is. <laughs> Turns out that the tree demons don't know that, but also aren't what wants to kill him right now. Zombie Ash does want to. I mean, whatever he, he said, he's not Proving a zombie, a, but whatever, he's a zombie. No, so, so the, the the concept is deadites, so that's what they call them, and effectively, it's a demon possessing a human being and transforming it into its demonic form. Okay. Um, if you've ever seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yeah, this is not explained in the or movie. heard of it at least. Um, now in the in the series, you have a um, the vampires can basically they have a horror vampire face, which is their demon thing coming forward no in, um, in buffy that's I get the kind that. of idea with this i get you in Buff- i get the idea i'm just saying yeah. the word deadite is never mentioned in this movie so i don't know how i'm supposed no. to know that <laughs> no, it's a zombie true. as far as i know it totally is yeah yeah i can see what you mean so annie escapes back into the house and arms herself with this uh spine dagger 
spine thing and stabs the first thing that comes through the door. Turns out it's Jake. Whoops. Whoopsie. Guess Ash didn't kill him after all, eh? And here I was ready to blame him without evidence. Now I just feel silly. Yeah, the thing that gets me is that when Ash gets taken, because up to this point he's been completely untouched, it's a real interesting twist to have him suddenly, you know, be possessed because you suddenly realize, oh, it could have done this any time it wanted to. Yep. Like, no one is safe. <laughs> then Annie removes the dagger from Jake's chest and drags him screaming into the other room uh, where she arms herself with the axe from before. This is a real fucking brutal but also really cool scene, I thought. Uh, these, yes. The dragging axe, him into man. the... It's just visceral because, you know, having... Just having him dragged on his back, unable to move, you know, just deadlifting someone is a is a tough thing to be doing. While yep. you're also being chased by demons is just like ramping it up to an extra level. And because you know that she like we always think in horror films, we could run from it, maybe we could run faster than it. You know, it's always the hope of, of that. You now know that she's lumbered with this with this person that she's hurt yeah. <laughs> mistakenly. Um on the other hand, she definitely, has, the... she definitely has an out, though. Because, like, what? why does he have a stab wound in his front with some sort of skull implement? Well, I don't know. It must have been the evil thing. They use all kinds of skull shit. Oh, she's right. She's got a point. <laughs> yeah, the the police report the next day, kind of like, what happened here? Uh, evil things did it. Can't you see the skulls? Well, officers, we have had a doozy of a day. Have you seen Tucker and Dale? <laughs> that was one party I will never forget. <laughs> have you seen Tucker and Dale versus Evil? I have indeed. Alan Tudyk, another yeah. great actor. This has been... Well, officer, this is a doozy of a day. <laughs> uh, yeah, so here's Ash to save the day. I mean, snap Annie's spine against the wall. Fortunately, he And there we go. For Last of our victims. Yeah, fortunately, he sees Linda's necklace on the floor there, and the power of love, I think, gets him back to normal for some reason. Indeed, love is stronger. Love is stronger than demon hate, I, I guess. So Annie, understandably thinking that he's still evil, tries to kill him with an axe, like a couple of times, <laughs> until he convinces her that he is fine, for now at least. In probably Again, going back to that comedy element. <laughs> this is one of my favorite scenes of the film, maybe, because like every action here from both characters makes perfect sense based on yep. each's uh, based on the internal whatever of each character, right? Like Absolutely. Annie is yeah, yeah. there like you just tried to kill me. I've seen other people turn from demon to person. I know that this can happen, so I am just gonna stab you in the fucking throat. And he's yeah, there like, no no no, I'm actually thing. okay. Shit, shit, how do I communicate this? Ah, so. And not hurt her. You're right, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you were to hurt her, that would rather prove her point. So she would stab you in the throat with the axe. Exactly. Exactly. Wins nothing. You, you, just have to, you just have to keep dodging when she swings and hope that you can, like, get the weapon out of her hand. It's a very good... Her. Just as a... I, I like action scenes that are character moments. You know mm. what I mean? Like, to me, that's the purpose of an action scene, unless you are just doing an exhibition, which is also fun, Right. Yeah, they've both got their places, but like you say, having the character development in it as well just adds that extra depth, adds that extra level, and makes it more impactful. Yeah, like if you can't answer the question, why are these characters fighting, then it shouldn't be a fight. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're fighting because 
title of film. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, new plan. Go to cellar, fight witch, get papers, defeat evil, go America. Wait for all this to blow over. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) I think we're mixing our references there, but I do approve. Uh, Oh, no, I'm coming for a callback. Just you wait. Oh. Oh. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll... Everyone wait for it. He's going to rehash back to that particular moment. But first, (laughs) let's enjoy what is definitely my absolute favorite sequence in the film, Gearing Up Montage. Absolutely. And here's where we come back round to it. Yeah, they strap the chainsaw to his arm and Ash's right arm. And and he has a, a shotgun and he saws the barrel off of the shotgun with the chainsaw. And then with an extreme close-up on Ash's face, we get, I think, what will become my catchphrase, groovy. Groovy. Yeah, that whole scene, this is where I get that, get, get that callback. It wasn't very long he had to wait. No. Nope. Um, so that tooling up, that montage scene with him, you know, making a brace, cutting, like, with, with in individual vignettes, zooming in on the action every single time, very deeply influenced... Edgar Wright. Oh yeah, those little the, zooms for each exactly, little. I'm going to show then you. Used, yeah. Which he then used years later in Shaun of the Dead when they're going through and they're making cups of tea, and you see those little shots. That's a direct homage. I guess I get that now. Yeah, it's cool. I also like that there's no music to this montage because why would there be music? No, it's just it's it's just individual spot effects just to hammer home the point. I guess there is a little musical sting right at the end, but it's more of an effect than like a soundtrack. You know what I mean? Oh, well, it's the reveal. It's the reveal of the hero. The the the, the looping the the shotgun around his finger twice before holstering it at the back. Yep. You know, pulling pulling down the, the the chainsaw to have it all go on. Like it's the reveal of the hero. Yep. So look, like, guys. Now he has reached his final form. So uh, look, guys. It's not how chainsaws work. Just, just saying, because I've like I'm, I'm a maker. I understand what a chainsaw does, and it's not this. But you know what? Rule of cool. You can have this one because the alternative is okay. Grab me that hacksaw. All right, we need to spend like ten minutes hacking the cross here. Make sure it's nice and square. Is there a file in here somewhere? I need to make sure that uh, there's no spurs or anything on the inside of this barrel. Let's polish it up a little bit. All right, I think we're okay. <laughs> I, I prefer this to that, but I would absolutely also watch a YouTube video of Ash customizing a shotgun. <laughs> like that, that's what Ash comes comes back to in real life. Like, he just ends up becoming a YouTuber. <laughs> oh my god, Ash the YouTuber? Yes. <laughs> so outside, looks like the tree demons are having a bit of a stretch. Here we go, it's time for a finale. Yep. And inside, they saw through the cell. They saw through the cellar door with the saw, and Ash goes down there, and then he finds all of the pages without any issues. Reads the pages, then they fall into each other's arms. Triumphant music plays. Roll credits. Go America. Except no. <laughs> I mean, he finds all the pages without issue, but is then attacked as he tries to climb back upstairs. And here's where we get the rotten apple head. Um, yep. Yeah, again, that's Ted Raimi in the suit. And obviously, I mean, describe it. I mean... As someone who is, hasn't seen it before, you describe okay, it. Okay, so I mean, first of all, this basement seems to be where they kept all their hanging gourds. Oh, yeah, root vegetable. Yeah. Root, root cellar. Root cellar, got it. Is this where you keep your gourds? Because I've <laughs> never been a gourd owner. I maybe don't know what a normal thing is to do with gourds. Especially the ones that are shaped like faces. I don't like the ones that are shaped like faces. 
Halloween joke incoming. Yeah. So I'm saying that I I lack gourd knowledge, but I also don't lack plumbing knowledge. And here those leaky pipes really need to be seen to. That's just... Oh, how that cellar isn't mud, I don't know. Well, it's if that's straight onto concrete, then that's an even worse problem because now you've got water going into your foundations. You really, really, really need to have this seen to, guys. I mean, granted, it's just a cabin, but come on now. Uh, also, I quite like how he's trying to be stealthy here. As his chainsaw arm is running. <laughs> you ever been close to a chainsaw? Yes, more than a, more than a few times. Yeah. How loud would you describe a chainsaw as being? Um, enough that I need ear protectors. I mean, I would describe it as quite loud. Like a bit loud, like in the uh, in the sort of 90 decibel kind of range when it's just idling. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's hitting up there. It's, it's definitely the sort of thing that you don't want to have right next to your ear. And it's certainly anything but stealthy. Yeah. I mean, I if I'm playing D&D and you got that, I am giving you disadvantage on stealth checks. Let me be clear about oh, no, that. Auto fail, man. Auto fail. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't even don't even roll. <laughs> disadvantage is funnier potentially because like <laughs> then the enemy is like I was playing chess or something and I was super into it. And then this guy comes in and chops my face off. Rude. <laughs> so with a thing that Logically, I should have been able to hear from a mile away. <laughs> so Annie begins reading from the pages and then stops in order to approach the death pit for some reason. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you've, got to, you've got to make sure you've got the evil in your sights. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than, you know, do the thing that you plan to do, you got to you got to spend a couple of seconds to be like, wait, what was that? Let me stop doing the thing that makes us win and do anything else for like a couple of minutes here. <laughs> well, you know, it, it could interrupt the spell. You need to keep an eye on these things. <sighs> so her mu- so her mom attacks her and then Ash climbs out of the death pit and then they have a super cool fight scene where the head turns into a baboon snake head man thing. And then act- that's the rotten apple head. Yeah, I'm describing that as baboon snake head man thing. And then actually mm. some super impressive puppetry and or stop motion here. And they intercut it and the lighting is matched. And holy fuck, these people are very good at this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I say, you can see the love. I mean, when you take in mind, again, the history starting from a short film going into a, a feature on a low budget to then be made into this, like, it's it's had the development phase gone through three times. Mm. It is so refined at this point. I guess, like, there might be lessons to take from this, too, because who in the world would take a short film these days and turn that into a feature twice, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, hey, remember that song she sang before? Well, this time Annie sings it to distract her while Ash just completely... I I have butts her head off here, but that's a typo. He cuts her head off with, uh, with the chainsaw arm. And also cuts her torso Again, off. Again, proving the whole thing, proving the whole thing from before. You know, Ash, Ash had the necklace in his hands, and it was love that pushed it out. The what is left of uh, Henrietta in the in the demon is lulled and tricked by this because of the memories. Yep. It, a consistency of the rules is one of the things that makes horror films can make or break a horror mm. film. Like, it's fine to have a monster, but you need to make sure that it sticks to the rules. I would. It needs to have some rules. You need to define those rules. You need to. You need to Follow them. And this film does that beautifully. I would go further. I would say that's a rule for all fiction. If you're going to make rules for your characters to follow, then the villains also have to follow the rule. Everybody in your story has to live by the rules that you set out. 
Yeah, right? totally agree, man. Totally agree. Uh, so then sh- the 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 demon lady just sort of deflates, and I say deflates because the sound effect here is literally a balloon farting sound. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's unmistakable. Like I don't think you have to be a sound designer to be like, I know what that is. I've heard that yeah, before. No, you, you, we've we've all done it. We've all done it with a, with balloons. We've all let go of the of the ends. Yeah. That's exactly what it's done. I did that with my lips. Interesting fact. That's... Interesting fact, because this is the last time that we see um, we see that character. Yep. Um, the the cast and crew called that huge neck with the with the baboon face on it. They they called it the rotten apple head. That's what they referred to. It, it looks was. like a rotten apple it head, was, but it sounds like a baboon. Yeah. yeah, it's too. It was too big and clumsy to take with them once they finished shooting, so they left it behind. Oh no. Um, oh they no. They went back to to pick it up, and it was gone. So somewhere. Uh, Someone it's, has this thing. It turned up what? many years later okay. as uh, there's a haunted house uh, in Wadesboro, which is where the whole place is. Someone went there afterwards, picked it up and added it into their, into their uh, haunted house. Like it, it's a thing that you can go and go and find and see. Is it still there? Because that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's cool of the prop department not to be like, okay, that's ours. I mean, I know we left it, but we were going to come back for it. It's ours. Please give it back. I think it's way better to be like, no, 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 you keep it, because then people can go to this weird haunted house and see this strange latex head thing. Yeah, it found it found a home, so leave it there. It's perfect. Found a new life. So, hey, Annie, I know that was uh, very distressing, but uh, how about we hug it out and then you read those pages? Like, like a time is a factor. Now would be like nice. properly this time. <laughs> so, like, you know. See, those tree demons are gradually worked their way over here, and now they're tearing the cabin apart. So, like, any time now, Annie! (laughs) Also, the evil has been made flesh now. Uh, So maybe instead of explaining what reading the passage would do, maybe just sort of read it? I feel like that would take a similar (laughs) amount of time, Annie! Oh, yes. There's there's plenty of of time-wasting happening at this point, as... Basically, everything is hitting the fan, and it's the you know the larger grandizing moment. But you're absolutely right. Like, just finish the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like our old friend Ash's right hand is back, and it stabs Annie before she can do anything about it. Gee, if only you just said the words that are on the page instead of those other words that you were saying, maybe you wouldn't have fucking got stabbed in the back. But okay, then a tree a tree nah, grabs Ash nah. and. If you know, if only he had some sort of a tool that might be useful against wooden things. Wait, what's that on his hand? <laughs> and Annie finishes the pages with her dying breaths, and the portal sucks up Ash's car, and then Ash slams his chainsaw into the big demon's eye. Big demon is in the whole doorway now. Also, fucking cool prop. I love. Over mm. in, in my first watch, I was like, "Oh no, the stakes." In my second watch, I was like, "That object existed." Mm-hmm. someone oh, made yeah, that so. thing and it's terrifying that actor stood in front of that thing ah, that's amazing fuck a eh? so it it looks <laughs> like the portal worked but it seems to have worked a little bit too well because ash is also sucked into the portal and after falling through some scenes which definitely require an epilepsy warning he and his oh, yeah. car fall from the sky and are quickly surrounded by people wearing what appears to be medieval armor, but, like, really badly. 
Yeah, I've, I haven't seen a, ton, a, a portal scene like that since um, Willy Wonka and the, and the Chocolate Factory. It is reminiscent of that a bit, <laughs> isn't it? Gene Wilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, these guys in their armor, one of them has like full plate mail and then has just a whole section where his throat is exposed. And I'm looking at this going, oh, come on. Yeah. One chain mail. Yeah. Come on. Historical accuracy wasn't. (laughs) I mean, they were at the end of their budget. I mean, the fact that they got them to even look like a, you know, the the fact they got that many horses, I think, was actually quite well done. I get you. But you know what I'm saying? Like. If you have guys making you some foam armor, it doesn't cost more to make them period accurate, right? No. <laughs> you, they'll make you whatever armor you want. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, so the portal worked. Worked too well. He's now in somewhere where people are like at a renaissance fair, I guess. Or actually medieval, it looks like, because they're about to kill him when a harpy or a gargoyle or whatever this is swoops in and Ash uses his shotgun to kill it. The soldiers are impressed by this and cheer. Hey, look, it's just like that drawing. Remember that drawing in the Necronomicon from before? You remember the one about the guy who didn't do a very good job of killing evil? Yeah, well, it looks like that guy is you, Ash. Maybe do a better job this time. Foreshadowing. So Ash screams no over and over uh, as the knights yell hail over and over and then cut to black roll credits. Go America? Question mark? And... The next film in the franchise, Army of Darkness, picks up from that point. Ask me questions about the movie. Or about my experience of the movie. What did you think of it? Holy shit, that was fun. Well, considering this is your first this is your first sort of like going straight into like horror and having this. I mean, this is as close to like if you were gonna get horror, this would be the thing that would make you get horror i would have thought i have a specific appreciate i have a specific written note here that says okay holy shit that was fun (laughs) is this a horror movie because it definitely felt like tense in places but it was so cartoonish that i was like half laughing most of the time it was super fun yeah it's it has all of those horrifying elements and it also has that humor which just totally plays off it like I say, that that time when I with, with with the stag head that turns, like you've got the the yuck yuck moments of like he sits on a chair and it breaks and oh isn't that funny? But then the way that that stag head just turns its neck and just starts laughing and the way it starts laughing with the opaque uh, white eyes, that is terrifying. That puppet existed. Yeah, yeah. Someone's job was yeah, to yeah. make that thing. It's still alive somewhere. I, it's on someone's wall or in someone's shelf. I'm like, so yeah. happy that we live in a world that someone's job was <laughs> to make that thing so that we could watch a movie where that thing laughs at a man for falling down through a chair. What the fuck is this movie? <laughs> I love this. It's so fun. And it's going to make you want to watch more, isn't it? I think I'm... I, yeah. I mean, if, yeah. if this is horror movies, yeah. then I like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love the – we've been through this over and over. The the pacing is so, so, so good. I miss movies that let me take my time a bit. Mm. I, I heard a great – I heard a – I forget who to attribute this to. So if somebody knows who this quote is from, let me know. But it's uh, what, what a director ultimately directs is the audience's attention. Mm-hmm. So if you're just con- I don't know who I don't know who said it either. I, it it does sounds like something that's too smart for me to have come up with. So I'm convinced that someone else said it, but it might be me. Uh ultimately you got to direct your audience's attention and I feel like a lot of films are so 
frantically trying to keep my attention on something in the film that they forget that that mm. gets exhausting. So after a half hour of like I don't know Transformers or something, I'm looking at it going. Oh, I was going to say God. Michael Bay, Michael Bay, or um, yeah. I mean that's a style, and it's just I'd... constant, and you don't know where you are in a scene. Like this is why in Evil Dead Two, the whole running through the house, mm. like right at the beginning. I mean, you see each and every single one of those rooms mm. throughout the film. And in that shot, you see them all in relation to everywhere else. So you've automatically, as an audience member, you've got a plan in your house. You know where stuff is, and it's consistent. Mm. You're never confused or lost or don't know what's going on or where something's coming from. It's always like... I guess so. I also, I mean, very specifically, these sections where they'll have a full minute of no sound or like minimal, Mm. like uh, call it like ambient sound, not zero level, but nothing but crickets or whatever's outside. A little bit of wind in the background. Yeah. Yeah. A modern guy might be looking at that going, ah, can we cut that short a little bit? Because we have this other scene we really want in there. So let's take a couple of seconds off of each one of those. Okay. Actually, do we need silence at all? Forgetting that, again, after a half hour of watching robots fight, it's like, okay, I've been watching the same thing for a half hour. So I don't know, man. Yeah, it's totally desensitized. You, and, and you lose interest. It is. It is a bit that. Uh, I love the lighting maybe most of all in this, which is weird from a sound guy, I guess. But aside from the sound design, which I guess we've talked about and we do both love. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Of course. No, 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 absolutely. So – I love the lighting because it really does add to the development of the plot. Like you notice the the cooler blue colors at the start, they change from that to your sort of orange during the daytime sequences. And then later it turns mm-hmm. green and purple and red. And the purple is a yeah, real yeah. green and purple in these scenarios is not a natural color for light to be. And then, you know, we talk about telling stories with light. This is a this is textbook, man. Yeah, I mean, it sets so many there's so many other directors that have taken cues from this and how how it dealt with um, how Sam Raimi sort of created a scene just using... Because, again, 3.5 million, it's enough to make a film, but you can't be wasting any of it. Mm. Like, it's just enough to sort of, like, do something good. Again, that sounds like super large amounts of money, and it is. But then you realise that making one of these props, like, how that deer head would have cost probably 10,000 bucks easy because that's a lot yeah, of yeah. a very skilled art department's time or a specific mm. prop maker whose job is to make that puppet and make exactly. it work. Once, and once then you... a puppeteer actually has to make the thing work on set. One day on set is crazy. So I, I, again, I fear that non-movie people like weirdly for a guy who has worked on film sets, I don't watch a lot of movies, right? Like that's the weird part that people get with, but I have been on film sets. I've worked on films, nothing huge, but you know, I've done it. And it's it's a lot of fuck. The fact that any film exists and is good is miraculous, right? So when a but film if, is if, good, I'm like, all right, that's that's. So here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's something for the people at home to really sort of like describe it. If you imagined a Zoom call with fifty other people, oh god, on it, each coming in and out. Um, so I'm sure people in our audience will have been on Zoom calls with lots of people on it and will understand the chaos of it. So effectively, each one of those heads is a department or a sub-department. Mm-hmm. Or someone's getting uncle. All of these sub, getting all of these sub-departments and departments to work together cohesively from beginning to end 
to create a product that everyone is proud of and looks brilliant and you, the audience, will buy, that, that's the kind of chaos reigning in that you have to do to make a film. Yep. And which is why most often directors seem like super they got a they got a reputation as being control freaks and everything but at a certain point you kind of have to be some are some are some aren't some micromanage some uh some take a more sit back view but uh the the fact is regardless of of their technique they all do the same thing mm. they pull everyone together in a single direction to create this 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 marvelous thing while the producer sits on their shoulders and tells them to stop spending money. Mm. Yeah. On a previous episode, we covered uh, blood rain, which I feel really bad about shitting on in a lot of ways. Cause again, look like the fucking costume department in that film were goddamn spectacular. Right. And every time I saw something Ooh. positive, I'm like, look at this cool thing. Look at this fucking cool Ooh. thing. I know. But the know. movie Uber itself Ball is a very strange director. And it's, it's a pleasure for me personally. I'm a big fan of horror at the best of mm-hmm. times. I'm a big fan of Uber Ball's work. Not because it's good, but just in the, he just takes a complete left hand turn to what you would consider standard technique. And where you think, where there's some laziness in there and bits and pieces, there's also so much care been put into them. They're really, it's a real dichotomy mm. watching his films. So I guess in the sense of horror movies, uh, this is one for Paul Tober which means that I'm going to be watching at least like three more of these for my weekly show. And I am, I think I was dreading it before because it was like, oh, I kind of got to do it. People expect some horror movies during October. Of course. But, Spooky season and all. But you know, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it now. If this is what horror movies are, then I'm in. I will warn you. <laughs> I will warn you. Most don't have the humor that Evil Dead 2 has. Oh, really? But, any but I like dec- the humor yeah, so much. Yeah, I'm not. I know. But any decent horror movie as I said right at the beginning, we'll have more to say than just than just the, the disgusting stuff or the supernatural stuff. It'll be having another message in there as well, and we'll be exploring it in a different way. What, what's, what films are on your list? What are you, what are you doing in one for, for Paul Tobin? Well, I mean, uh, I usually leave that up to my guests, right? So you, you've been through the process. I, I have a big old list of fil- – understand that because I haven't seen it, I don't have a good read on what would make a good episode, Right. So I have uh-huh. I have to trust my guests rather a lot. You wanted to do, uh, you wanted to do a number of the Universal horror movies. Yeah, yeah. Taking a look, um, taking a look at each one of them, mm. like because that is the the origin of the horror film. I mean, you take something like The Vampire from nineteen thirteen mm. or Nosferatu from nineteen twenty two. Like that's where horror cinema starts. But then the Universal horror films. One, they had sound. Two, they had people like Bella Lugosi, uh, you know, just creating these characters, taking literary characters and, and bringing them to the screen for the first time ever. So you'd consider, like, Evil Dead 2, Universal Horror, if somebody is like me who's just never seen horror movies, this is the way you would expect to proceed. I would always lead with Evil Dead on the basis of the, it. If you don't like, like, the blood and the guts and the gore, this has enough humor in it to be able to sort of like guide you in. It's a gateway film into the worlds of horror. And it, it because it uses such wonderful techniques, horror techniques, when you see them in the in other films, you'll really appreciate um how they can be done well and how they've been used to great effect. And it's it's just a great way of like you say, it also allows you to take your time while you're watching mm. it. And it has so much rewatchability that you can sort of really dig into it. So for a first film, I would very heartily recommend Evil Dead 2 because it gives you it gives you the horror but it also makes sure that you don't get like overpowered by it 
So what I'm getting about horror, if I'm getting it right, is that it's not it's not usually about let's cause the audience to feel real visceral fear in the sense of like, oh, God, I'm about to die fear, which unfortunately Mm. I have felt a couple of times in my life. And Mm. like, I can't recommend it. It's not a good feeling. So when I was promised, oh, yeah, it's so scary. I thought that's the feeling that these filmmakers were trying to evoke. What it's actually seeming to want to evoke is being eight years old, being told a ghost story around a campfire. That's the sort of deal. Um, certainly, certainly there's an entire subgenres of horror of which that is one. Just the concept of telling a scary tale, of making you think about, you know, life and death and supernatural elements and, you know, what's actually there. And, and yeah, the, the, the sharing of stories, which has been a bedrock of humanity as a whole. Mm. Like, we've been telling horror stories around a campfire since we were able to speak. You know, the concept of the thing in the dark is one that has been with us since the beginning. It's a very primal tie to uh, who we are. Yeah, You reckon that uh, horror relies on that unknown factor? It should do, yes. Like, the whole concept of the unknown is what we as humans fear the most you know if we don't know it we don't know how we can react how it's going to react to us how we're going to react to it it generates fear so the more that you keep that again with rules in place mm. as long as as long the more mysterious you make it the more chills up your spine so again get. i'm more i'm getting that this is almost sort of an agatha christie style oh i wonder what's going on but in like it's it's more adjacent to that than I'm literally in danger and about to die, right? Like those are distinct feelings to me. And maybe English is just not a good language for describing these because we have the word fear and then we have the word horror, which means to evoke fear. And that's all we've got Mm -hmm. to describe this. Oh, and there's, you know, there's other words that the horror genre uses like terror. And again, I'm not clear on the terror horror distinction. Yes, and I can see why. Like like you say, it's these are words that have been used not just to describe real life feelings, which you're right, you know, people wouldn't want to experience, particularly, as you say, the, the, the fear of like, I'm about to die. That is not a nice, nice, pleasant sensation. But, you know, uh, a few endorphins and some adrenaline shock to the system, that can be refreshing. That can make you feel heightened. That can make you feel happy. That can, you know, move you. So I guess the difference is what you really want out of a horror movie is the feeling of a bungee jump rather than the feeling of a bungee jump without a cord. Exactly. You should be able to walk out of a, of a horror film going, "Wow, thank God that's over." Like you should not sorry, that's not the right way. I was going to say that sounds like the film. opposite of what I want. Yeah, that's the other way, yeah. And um, yeah, you should come out of a horror film going like, "Wow, that was a great time." And uh, you know, you go back into real life and you reassert yourself into real life. Yeah, I think uh, like I have would... a friend of the show, Tom Dennett Cook, who has mm-hmm. really helped me reorganize my head on this because I was like, well, can you have a horror movie about Nazis? And he's uh, he knows a lot yeah, about this I stuff. And he was few. like, well, I can <laughs> I can make a horror movie about Nazis, but not really about the Holocaust, weirdly. Like you. A movie about the yeah. Holocaust is too fucking real and too fucking horrifying to actually to, to do this kind well, of – to do an evil dead to it, right? Like that would be so yeah, yeah, disrespectful. Well, exactly. You're talking about But that's like real-life horrifying. Which harmed 
right? It's like, to me, when you say the word horror, I'm like, okay, what do I know that's horrifying to me? (laughs) That's horrifying. Maybe that's what they want me to – I don't want that at all. Fuck that. No, 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 it's not that. No, 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 no. So I think that's the logjam that you've helped me get through here, and I'm real excited to watch me some 1910s and 20s black and white stuff, and I'm I'm looking forward also to another couple of things we'll be announcing through One for Paul Toba. And uh, thank you both to you and to all the friends of the show and to all my listeners for tuning into this episode of One for Paul. One more time, where can they find your – because you run that whole horror series, don't you? Yes. If you are interested in hearing some uh, short horror that's been brilliantly sound designed, uh, come and – investigate the stygian chronicles you can find us on twitter instagram facebook and we are looking to get paid from this eventually one day we hope so we have a patreon if you sign up now you'll get to listen to not just the first episode when it comes out the 31st but also the second in advance i think then uh, unless you have something to add then that's the episode right uh that's me i think yeah wonderful well thank you for joining me on this episode of one for paul matt dempsey sound engineer extraordinaire and also maker of horror stuff and uh thank you guys for listening to the episode as always you can find me on twitter at one for paul maybe tell me what you think about horror movies in general or tell me how interested you are by the evil dead franchise and hey recommend a movie to me that'd be cool uh, and of course, uh, we, I also have a Patreon that you could throw a couple of bucks to help me keep making the show. And uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash one for Paul. Bye, guys. Mm-mm. Gotta love that fresh soul taste. And then this guy comes in and chops my face off. <laughs>